Part Fifteen of Death World by Harry Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Fifteen. The truck rumbled up to the perimeter gate and stopped. Crennan waved to the guards through the front window, then closed a metal shield over it. When the gate swung open, the truck, really a giant armored tank, ground slowly forward. There was a second gate beyond the first. That did not open until the interior one was closed. Jason looked through the second driver's periscope as the outer gate lifted. Automatic flamethrowers flared through the opening, cutting off only when the truck reached them. A scorched area ringed the gate. Beyond that, the jungle began. Unconsciously, Jason shrank back in his seat. All the plants and animals he had seen only specimens of existed here in profusion. Thorn-ringed branches and vines laced themselves into a solid mat through which wildlife swarmed. A fury of sound hurled at them. Thuds and scratchings rang on the armor. Crannon laughed and closed a switch that electrified the outer grid. The scratchings died away as the beast completed the circuit to the grounded hull. It was slow-speed, low-gear work tearing through the jungle. Crannon had his face buried in the periscope mask and silently fought the controls. With each mile the going seemed to get better until he finally swung up the periscope and opened the window armor. The jungle was still thick and deadly, but nothing like the area immediately around the perimeter. It appeared as if most of the lethal powers of Pyrrhus were concentrated in the single area around the settlement. Why? Jason asked himself. Why this intense and planetary hatred? The motors died, and Crannon stood up, stretching. We're here, he said. Let's unload. There was bare rock around the truck, a rounded hillock that projected from the jungle, too smooth and steep for vegetation to get a hold. Crannon opened the cargo hatches, and they pushed out the boxes and crates. When they finished, Jason slumped down, exhausted, onto the pile. Get back in. We're leaving, Crannon said. You are. I'm staying right here. Crannon looked at him coldly. Get in the truck, or I'll kill you. No one stays out here. For one thing, you couldn't live an hour alone. But worse than that, the grubbers would get you. Kill you at once, of course, but that's not important. But you have equipment that we can't allow into their hands. You want to see a grubber with a gun? While the Piran talked, Jason's thoughts had rushed ahead. He hoped that Crennan was as thick of head as he was fast of reflex. Jason looked at the trees, let his gaze move up through the thick branches. Though Crennan was still talking, he was automatically aware of Jason's attention. When Jason's eyes widened and his gun jumped into his hand, Crennan's own gun appeared and he turned in the same direction. There, in the top! Jason shouted and fired into the tangle of branches. Crannon fired, too. As soon as he did, Jason hurled himself backwards, curled into a ball, rolling down the inclined rock. The shots had covered the sounds of his movements, and before Crannon could turn back, the gravity had dragged him down the rock into the thick foliage. Crashing branches slapped at him but slowed his fall. When he stopped moving, he was lost in the tangle. 
Crannon's shots came too late to hit him. Lying there, tired and bruised, Jason heard the Piran cursing him out. He stamped around on the rock, fired few shots, but knew better than to enter the trees. Finally he gave up and went back to the truck. The motor gunned into life and the treads clanked and scraped down the rock and back into the jungle. There were muted rumblings and crashes that slowly died away. Then Jason was alone. Up until that instant he hadn't realized quite how alone he would be. Surrounded by nothing but death, the truck already vanished from sight. He had to force down an overwhelming desire to run after it. What was done was done. This was a long chance to take, but it was the only way to contact the grubbers. They were savages, but still they had come from human stock. And they hadn't sunk so low as to stop the barter with the civilized Pyrrhans. He had to contact them, befriend them, find out how they had managed to live safely on this madhouse world. If there had been another way to lick the problem, he would have taken it. He didn't relish the role of martyred hero. But Kirk and his deadline had forced his hand. The contact had to be made fast, and this was the only way. There was no telling where the savages were or how soon they would arrive. If the woods weren't too lethal, he could hide there, picking his time to approach them. If they found him among the supplies, they might skewer him on the spot with a typical Piran reflex. Walking warily, he approached the line of trees. Something moved on a branch, but vanished as he came near. None of the plants near a thick-treed trunk looked poisonous, so he slipped behind it. There was nothing deadly in sight, and it surprised him. He let his body relax a bit, leaning against the rough bark. Something soft and choking fell over his head. His body was seized in a steel grip. The more he struggled, the tighter it held him until the blood thundered in his ears and his lungs screamed for air. Only when he grew limp did the pressure let up. His first panic ebbed a little when he realized that it wasn't an animal that attacked him. He knew nothing about the grubbers, but they were human, so he still had a chance. His arms and legs were tied, the power holster ripped from his arm. He felt strangely naked without it. The powerful hands grabbed him again, and he was hurled into the air to fall face down across something warm and soft. Fear pressed in again. It was a large animal of some kind, and all Piran animals were deadly. When the animal moved off, carrying him, panic was replaced by a feeling of mounting elation. The grubbers had managed to work out a truce of some kind with at least one form of animal life. He had to find out how. If he could get that secret and get it back to the city... It would justify all his work and pain. It might even justify Welf's death if the age-old war could be slowed or stopped. Jason's tightly bound limbs hurt terribly at first, but grew numb with the circulation shut off. The jolting ride continued endlessly. He had no way of measuring the time. A rainfall soaked him, then he felt his clothes steaming as the sun came out. The ride was finally over. 
He was pulled from the animal's back and dumped down. His arms dropped free as someone loosed the bindings. The returning circulation soaked him in pain as he lay there, struggling to move. When his hands finally obeyed him, he lifted them to his face and stripped away the covering, a sack of thick fur. Light blinded him as he sucked in breath after breath of clean air. Blinking against the glare, he looked around. He was lying on a floor of crude planking, the setting sun shining into his eyes through the doorless entrance of the building. There was a ploughed field outside, stretching down the curve of hill to the edge of the jungle. It was too dark to see much inside the hut. Something blocked the light of the doorway, a tall animal-like figure. On second look Jason realized it was a man with long hair and thick beard. He was dressed in furs. Even his legs were wrapped in fur leggings. His eyes were fixed on his captive while one hand fondled an axe that hung from his waist. "'Who are you? What do you want?' the bearded man asked suddenly. Jason picked his words slowly, wondering if this savage shared the same hair-trigger temper as the city-dwellers. "'My name is Jason. I come in peace. I want to be your friend.' "'Lies!' the man grunted and pulled the axe from his belt. "'Junk man tricks. I saw you hide. Wait to kill me. Kill you first. He tested the edge of the blade with a horny thumb, then raised it. "'Wait,' Jason said desperately. "'You don't understand.' The axe swung down. "'I'm from off-world, and—' A solid thunk shook him as the axe buried itself in the wood next to his head. At the last instant the man had twitched it aside. He grabbed the front of Jason's clothes and pulled him up until their faces touched. "'Stroh!' he shouted. "'You're from off-world?' His hand opened and Jason dropped back before he could answer. The savage jumped over him toward the dim rear of the hut. "'Rees must know of this,' he said as he fumbled with something on the wall. Light sprang out. All Jason could do was stare. The hairy, fur-covered savage was operating a communicator. The calloused, dirt-encrusted fingers deftly snapped open the circuits, dialed a number. End of Part 15